Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision-making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing the UK's exam fiasco. It's a great fiasco if there's more than one of yeah. them. Fiasco, I, I presume it's an Italian word, right? Sounds like it, yeah. I mean, they have plenty of fiascos. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good so. place to, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, Nick, lead us in. What are we talking about here? Well, I don't know if, you, if you're if you aware of this uh, coronavirus that's been going around a bit. Mm. Um, but one of the things, uh, the, the sort of knock-on effects it had was um, uh, very early on, in sort of March, April, the, the government announced that exams would not take place, that they weren't going to have the main exams that we uh, sit at school in the UK, which are GCSEs when you're 16 and A-levels when you're 18. Which all takes place in about June, I think, if memory serves. May, yes, June. So, so, so that, you know, so, so we have this big problem, which is that people need to get qualifications, among other things, because they will need to know whether they've got into the university of their choice. Um, so uh, Ofqual, who is the UK's exams regulator, essentially qualifications regulator, designed an algorithm which um, took account of various things, took account of the past performance of the school, took account of the individual pupils' past performance uh, and teacher predictions, etc., etc., and gave people grades based on this, based on the, the forecast. So your grade was a result of lots of information, but not actually an exam, mm. right? Um, as a result, about 40% of pupils got a lower grade than they were predicted to get, Mm -hmm. um at a level of gcse um caused a massive controversy mm. right huge outcry can't mm. get into the university i want to get into because this algorithm says no mm. um so now the political outcry everyone's the aleph insights uh, official mp gavin williamson said that <laughs> there would be no u-turn right of now, course, yeah, because, sorry, the, he's the education secretary. Yeah. Uh, and I forgot, our favourite, as you say, Aleph. For some reason, he crops up on yeah, many podcasts. The cognitive anyway, engine, he yeah. announced definitively that there would be no U-turn. And uh, a couple and so of days later, that. there was a U-turn. Yeah. And uh, they then said they were going to um, sort of, essentially, the, the moderation system had resulted in significant inconsistencies, had caused a lot of distress, etc., etc. And they were going to abandon the algorithm and more or less go with um, the prediction grades. Yeah. It was now, more of an A star turn than a U turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, now, had they gone with the uh, algorithm, the results would still have been about two percent higher, uh, you know, on average across the board. Yeah, across the board than they were last year. Was they were building in a bit of grade inflation. Mm. Um, however, there is now, as a result of abandoning that algorithm, we now have an increase of something like. Um, Thirty. So there's from about twenty five percent of people getting the top grades has gone up to thirty eight percent, and which is the biggest increase in twenty years. So, and with his resignation, Sally Collier, uh, who was the chief regulator of Ofqual, has uh, has resigned. Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Slater, who was the um, permanent secretary of the Department of Education, has stood down. So um, Gavin Williamson re resigned as well, right? Uh, yes, on, on principle, of course. Actually, weirdly, no. Um. Uh, so that's the situation now I think and I think there's this raises a whole load of questions was the algorithm good or bad should we use algorithms for this kind of thing were there other ways we could have approached it you know whose fault was it if anyone's um 
and uh, yeah, so lots of issues, lots of interesting it's issues. It's quite a meaty about. one, this one, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that being the case, Chris, is there anything you immediately want to pick up on here? Yeah, I think I think the first thing to say is that um, that this is a relative judgment that we're, that we're making. So whether or not the algorithm was fair or not um, is itself a very thorny question. But the question is, is it fairer than what they ended up doing, which was to accept... Uh, effectively unmoderated teacher assessments and I think the answer to that is probably probably no uh, because you know you, you've the alternative is essentially a highly subjective human judgment yes based on professional opinion but there is no ability within that judgment to sort of moderate for um, the you know the the biases within the the teacher themselves and that's why you have these you know these sort of moderated processes so so yeah i think um i think that that in terms of you know whether it's fair or not that's it's a relative judgment i think as well well i've i can actually i've got quite a lot of fairly good evidence about the accuracy of teachers predictions right let's yeah let's let's start with that yeah the shit okay so uh teachers are incredibly bad at predicting presumably results. they over predict they, they over predict yeah, yeah. quite badly um so the um one of the, the most recent study which looked at this comprehensively used looked at the total number of points that someone gets at a level right mm. and um in an a level points is an a star is six an a is five a mm. b is four and so on mm. right so um you know, if you got if you predicted BBB, but you got ABC, that that would be kind of yeah, that's on on point. That's that's the the measure that's being used here, rather than looking at individual grades. Um, one in six grades uh, were accurately predicted, and seventy five percent were over predicted. Good lord, right? So so uh, if you um, it, whatever your results were, there's a seventy five percent chance that you were predicted to get higher than your results, right? under normal circumstances um there was a few centers that were looked at that put in um judgments where uh that they gave everyone a stars and a's for example in a Mm. particular subject where you know that had never happened in the past Mm. um and this ties in actually with with previous research that has looked at um that has looked at individual grades as well it's very highly consistent like so this is this is not an unusual thing of the year they looked at it it's you know it ties in with with other research that's been done the lower you get the bigger the wrongness gets the bigger the over prediction so on average right someone who was predicted bcc Mm. got eee wow um someone who was predicted aaa Mm. on average got aaa Mm. the lower you the worse you are the higher your overprediction will be. So immediately we're thinking, well, probably a lot of people who should have done badly have done much better than they actually deserve to have done, right? And actually the very highest scores are always underpredicted. Well, that's not surprising. Like, you know, someone who gets three A stars, they can only be underpredicted, right? Yeah. Um, independent schools are much more accurate, right? So they, they're about 20% are accurately predicted mm. rather than 15% in state schools. And they are like they're, they're, they're only on average like a point off rather yeah. than two or three points yeah. off. Um, the most disadvantaged students um, are more likely to um, uh, to have be, to be over predicted. Mm. And um, ethnic minority pupils are more likely to be over predicted. 
so they they will have benefited from the from the u-turn um and this i mean to use another italian word this explains the furore when this all happened yeah although, right? although yeah but it's not i mean the, the algorithm didn't look at ethnicity it just so happens that you that that in this study ethnic minority peoples were more likely to be overpredicted, so that that that's all so if you yeah no you know. but that's what i'm saying is i remember in the press the the big news was that um you know the, the more impoverished parts of society are the ones that had done the worst well yeah, it's yeah, because yeah, historically yeah. there's always this overprediction for, for yeah they, for, they'll have yeah. done much they're more like if you're disadvantaged you go to a go to a uh, you know or you go to a school which has got historically bad results blah, blah blah you will end up doing much more worse than your predictions yeah um big but that's you know because teachers are bad at very bad at predicting and, those, and i that think so I, so I think there are two there are two things one is that um by having done this the system itself will account account for the fact that the you know the 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 graduates of of 2020 their results throughout their life will will not be treated the same as somebody right. from 2019 or 2021 so the fact they've you know it's 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 like currency right you know yeah. if you if you print more money it's worth less right mm-hmm. and so so the question is have you know in in the short term those students feel well you know great i might have i might not achieve those results and i haven't been penalized by some object you know some some distant algorithm that i had no uh, influence over uh, on the other hand, they might have just been given out less valuable money, effectively. So they're not necessarily receiving the advantage they think they they may have got. Yeah, well, they um, are going to university, and you know, high ability students um, are going to be sitting alongside people who don't deserve to be there, who are taking up places, and you know, but they're the same the number of university. Discourse places obviously and well i know i think they, they've they've had to like introduce sort of bulge years and things as i understand it because of the fact that now they've, they've had to offer people or they a lot of people are being offered deferred places for example yeah. but that's just punting the problem to next year yeah the the other thing is sort of looking at the algorithm itself and whether or not that was fair and you mentioned the sort of you know the, the sort of penalizing um schools that had underperformed and of course one of the probably the most controversial thing about it was that it um, effectively presented a, a distribution of grades based on the school. So, you you know, your school and your subject were told you get, you know, two A stars, three A's, seven B's, uh, you know, whatever. That was your profile. And effectively, the teacher grades, mm. the, the teacher assessments rank ordered students within that grade profile right so if your school didn't have any a stars to give out it didn't matter how good a student you were if your school had traditionally not performed well in that subject uh it made no account of outliers yeah so so that's that's where the that that's where the um ferrari came from largely you know was that um because you could have a one-off sort of you, brilliant you, could have, student. you could have a brilliant student in a terrible school yeah and there was nothing they could do to achieve the the, yeah. the top grades. the the other The other thing that sort of um, that tripped them up about it was that let's say you had um, a, a small sample of uh, students in a, a you know doing music in a small private school, for example. Mm. For those schools, they realised that the algorithm wouldn't wouldn't work. It wouldn't function because the sample was too small to to produce a distribution curve for. So they got to opt out. So you had this double thing of, of sort of, you know, impoverished schools mm. not being able to get high grades and small, you know, um, 
subjects, not mass subjects and in small schools, which tended to be in the independent sector, were allowed to opt out and use their predicted predicted grades. Ah. So, so you had this kind of something that was perceived to be socially inequitable yeah, yeah, yeah. going on, which is always... Yeah, that's a no-no in British society. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's fair. There, there are a lot of criticisms you can make of the algorithm. Um, I, I have a few myself, but I won't go into much detail. But I think, as Chris said, the question at the beginning is, you know, what's more unfair? Right. And 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 the problem here is that is that you need an algorithm. Teachers are not doing their job. They're bad at forecasting, and they're not just bad, or you know, because it's inherently hard to forecast. Although it is. They're, they're systematically bad. They're systematically over-predicting people's grades. And you know who's most likely to be under-predicted? The people who get the who, who are most likely to be given worse grades than um, they actually get. Is it the top students? It's the it's it's high ability disadvantaged students. Ah, so they they are they are yeah, most kind of these we, are yeah. the people who suffer who are going to suffer the most from cancelling the exams, and that that's about three thousand kids a year apparently uh, fall into that category of people who. You know they're in a sink school, and the teacher's like, oh, you know, everyone gets D's. I'll just, I'll, go, I'll give them all C's. Which is but pretty actually, much what the algorithm did. Yeah. To, well, to them. well, I mean, sort of. I mean, that's right. And and uh, but those people are in, uh, they're they're between a rock and a hard place in terms of you know algorithm versus teacher predictions. And I think I think this um, is where... we're just not very we're just not predicting people's grades very well. Yeah. And this is and now we're in this sort of problem. And I think I think the question is this is this is where it's quite interesting and where the I, the concept of an exam. Is an is an interesting one um, that you know teachers teachers are being asked to predict exam results, and I think what teachers are actually trying to do is they're trying to predict the person's competence in the in the subject, right? Rather than predict their exam results, which is not the not the same thing. You know, um, systematic systemized um, uh, exams, you know, were were created to try and remove this type of of bias so you know mm. it, it was really only in in like the 17th century that the european education system started to take on board the idea of um you, you know standardized exams and uh, prior to that it had all been done orally and of course that's much you know they got they did away with that effectively that um the the predicted results kind of uh, um process because it was so subject to bias and um you know corruption and so on so look um we've described some of the in quite depth a lot of the pitfalls. well i do, what i want to know given that chris has a very small amount of teaching experience yeah this is what we've got why to, you sh- think that this i mean you you know why is it I, I i get that you know they might be predicting competence but you'd think that over time they would learn they would adjust to their forecasts to be more accurate like why is that not happening and why is it worse in state schools i mean what yeah well it it depends so i think so i think grade predictions are one thing no nobody i mean grade predictions are used in the university admission process but by and large that's their that's their sort of sole function so it's quite it's quite an important one but actually when it comes down to it you know there's the safety the safety net of people's gcse results and um and their actual performance in the exams, mm. which are you know what they wait for until they confirm your 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 position. So I think um, predictions are effectively a bit of a meaningless exercise. Where they're more meaningful, further down the schooling system in primary schools, where you've got SATs 
uh, results, and though and and they basically the teacher uh, not 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 the second set of SATS results that p- people do, but um, earlier on, then they're, they're not purely. Um, test-based you know they're, they're based on uh, partly on t- teacher assessment and so on and the marking of work and being able to demonstrate that somebody has done work at a particular level of, of competence that process is much more broadly moderated there is no moderation of exam predictions a teacher says a a start there's no you know there's no internal moderation and that's probably why they're bad at predicting grades because there's no there's no objective checking there's no inter assessor mm. reliability there's no um you know people removed from the student relationship assessing and saying you sure where's your evidence for that and so on yeah i get but i guess you know why is it that they that they're always over predicting i mean the the allegation is that it's supposed to motivate people you know oh i know jemima hasn't handed in any geography homework all year but i had a chat with her last week and she said she's really going to turn things around and it's important to not not lose yeah. faith in well, people I, I mean, but, you... but i for, i mean you know speaking for myself uh being being given bad predicted grades that would be the motivator not yeah. being given better predicted grades yeah. I'm get. Well, I th- I so think, I don't get it. I don't get yeah, how that I mean, works. I mean, obviously, mock exams are are a much more objective measure of how you're likely to get on an exam, right? I mean, you know, it's, although it's, ra- you know, the rational the rational student uh, sees them for what they are, which is totally irrelevant and doesn't yes, really bother pointless. mugging up on. No, them. that's right. Um, but um, in terms of you know the 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 human psychology of giving somebody a great, you're effectively. Uh, valuing that person and then you have to maintain a relationship with that person for the you know remainder of the year Mm. so there's no there's no incentive to to under predict there's no incentive to accurately predict really other than your your credibility but that's that's fairly distantly removed from Mm. you know nobody comes back and say hey do you know what you you are, are teacher there are massively over predicting all your students and letting everyone else down there's there's none of that sort of process it's it's um it's essentially a a pretty meaningless non-incentivized process so why wouldn't you give them good grades okay so look um we're close to needing to conclude this part of well, the podcast I, yeah. so that being the case um where have we got to what yeah, well what we, I, I think we've we got, need to round it off a, a bit one of a, a general class of situations where you don't have the information that you would normally get and you've got to do something about it. You've got to classify something in the absence of the information that you need. Um, You know, and you ask, well, what's the point of exams? Like, imagine that I had an algorithm that was so good. It was was correctly predicting people's uh, exam results at A-level, you know, in January. Hmm. Well, then you might say, well, what's the point of the exam? Yeah, let's just. And the point of the exam is that it does give, it gives you information that you do not have that isn't contained in any other piece of uh, work that that student has done because you know it is designed to test your ability to perform in precisely the situation of a high stress single incident of having to demonstrate stuff, which is going to affect the rest of your life. Nothing else you've done until then. Is analogous to that. Oh. So it, there are there are there are th- aspects of your character which are only revealed by being in that situation. That is the whole point of it. So so I think you know that what I would say is it's probably in, inherently um, impossible to predict to have an algorithm like that. But but it you know it's designed to find those kids who you know maybe are coasting, but then when push comes to shove, they step up and you know spend two weeks working really hard and ace the exam. And and I you know we want to find people like that. They they're useful. Oh. 
Mm. Okay. So, I, but it does. I mean, I, I, like the only another example of of an algorithm used in precisely this sort of situation that I'm aware of um, is the Duckworth Lewis rule. But I, what with Chris being a sports expert, I think you might have looked at we should, that. We should give the but it, but the, the interesting thing about that is, at least, is that it is sort of seems to be widely accepted in cricket, as far as I understand it. But I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, but I mean, it, it was born out of controversy of the previous ways of of measuring that. So it was only after a sort of uh, a World Cup semi final between um, England and, and South Africa, mm. where you had um, a a ridiculous situation where I think rain basically meant that there was a, a place stoppage and South Africa had something like, um, I, I think it was, they had to get 23 runs off 13 balls or something mm-hmm. like that. And by the time they came back to the game after a short rain shower, uh, there was enough time for um, for a last a last ball, effectively. Mm-hmm. And the, the method they had been using to, um, you know, determine what the, the target should be, left them with a, a situation of needing to score over 20 runs off the last ball, mm. which, if you know anything about cricket... It's fairly unlikely. It's is, is pretty much impossible, uh, given six is generally the highest you, you mm. can get. And so, um, so yes, two two kind of English statisticians, Frank, Frank Duckworth... Sorry, just because I don't really understand it, and I think there may be international listeners who don't really understand it. Why why couldn't you, in that situation, just finish the game? Why, why could they not just get all of their overs? Uh, well, often it's to do with... Um, light the amount of time there is to to play the game and and so, oh, so on so, so the amount of so the there it's not like there's some certain number of overs in this situation you uh, use basically by the end of the day if you haven't done it you've you've lost yeah so so it, it's like it, one um the the cricket world cup is one day one day cricket so you don't normally you know in a in a test match where you might be you're playing over several days um you you have the capacity to sort of play a bit more have a bit less tea or you know whatever it, it might be or, or generally sort of make up uh make up time uh, and so on but in um one one day cricket or shorter uh shorter fixed overs matches that's not an not an option and obviously in england uh in the summertime you know we're quite susceptible to uh to rain stopping play so it's no surprise that um that yes it was it was two english statisticians frank duckworth and tony lewis um who if you imagine two english statisticians called called by those names uh just picture them in your head that's what they look like. Um, they uh, they came up with a um, uh, a system um, uh, that uh, is now being added to. It's now the um, the Duckworth, Lewis, and Stern uh, method. Um, after the the custodian of it is uh, um, is now a, a Professor Stern. Um, uh, but they essentially what what it did was the pr- problem you have is you might have fifty overs, right? Six balls in a in an over. Uh, you you might both sides might get fifty overs and it's time to uh, it's how many runs you get in that uh, within those overs and and you add them up and the one with the most runs wins right that's the the nature of cricket um, but uh, if one team loses um, half its overs because of of rain so the first team finish their fifty overs. Uh, and get 200 runs, let's say, and the second team only have 25 overs to um, to make their their runs. You need to set them a target. Now um, you could just say, "Well, give them half the number of runs." They've got half the number of overs, half the number of runs. But of course, that doesn't take into account the fact that um, they have 
still got all their wickets left. So, you know, they've still got 10, uh, 10 wickets effectively. Um, yeah. And so they can play much more aggressively. They've got more... Uh, they can take more risk as they're, as they're playing. So effectively what this, this um, uh, algorithm does is uh, it's just a giant lookup table and it, 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 um, it assesses uh, r- uh, the number of overs you have left and the number of wickets you have left as your resource, effectively. But how as, did it get so... Team. I mean, it's, it's, it's accepted that this is how you decide the results of, of matches. What made it accepted... Uh, why did people not say, well, that's not fair because you're not taking account that Johnson's into bat next and he's awesome? Yeah, or- well, it has a, it has a certain degree of um, uh, face validity. It's sort of not, pre- you know, whereas previous methods had created those ridiculous um, situations, this has created fewer, you know, ridiculous situations. Um, so it's it's generally accepted to to kind of kind of work and it's still it still enables people to have agency over the result they what's adjusted is the target they're aiming for you know not they're told oh right okay we've just said you've got mm. to 150 runs you've lost you know they've still got some capacity yeah, to, to yeah. engage in the event we need to finish okay just so i've got a question i want to ask but is there anything you want to r- r- finish off on well, I, ju- I just thought uh, what I was going to say is that effectively, um, you know, we're now moving into an area, into an era where algorithms are going to be being used to decide lots more outcomes about our our lives. You mm-hmm. know, things like car, you know, what your car insurance premium should be, uh, what your um, recidivism rate might be as a as a somebody coming up for parole, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And those algorithms are only going to get more opaque as, you know, they become more subject to, um, from our perspective, black box AI kind of predictions. So, you know, we're going to have to get used to to being judged by by algorithms. Uh, And it may turn out that they end up being more effective than whatever the essence of what we were trying to measure was in the in the first place by our traditional means anyway. Nice. That being the case, I've got a question for you, which is, can you think back to um, a moment in your life? Um, and I guess in my fir- in the first instance here, I'm thinking about exams, but it doesn't have to be. Can you think about when uh, there was a life-changing moment for you um, or, uh, no, an important period of your life when you would rather have had an algorithm deciding things for you than actually what was used as an assessment at the time? So just to kick us off, for example, had I been had this had the, had coronavirus happened when I was an A level student, it would have been the best thing that could have happened to me, because I did my predicted results were very high, um, my actual results were just an absolute bombshell, um, and I just performed terribly, and I would have just that would have it would just been brilliant. I'd have just shut down. In fact, I had just shut down for the exams anyway. And I was the stone cold opposite. Right. Okay. I only ever my exams. I always aced exams and yeah. always got terrible predictions. Right. That implies partly, partly to try and show, show my teachers up for the morons they were. Uh, but that implies that your teachers didn't like you. Yeah, yeah that's probably fair. <laughs> so yeah, it might be in the like I say. So for me, in the case, you know, an algorithm such as we have had for my exams for my A levels would have been marvelous. You know. And I could have lived with the stigma for the rest of my life that, oh, you're just one of those 
students from 1991. Fine. fine I suppose this makes me think about having been. Um, uh, so I, I, the, the example I think of is the um, Oxford interview process, which, as you know, I failed and you inexplicably passed. And uh, I can't help thinking actually just the opposite of your example. You know, if you if you'd have got your real exam results yeah. <laughs> and, and an algorithm had decided whether I ought to I ought to go to Oxford, you know, uh, then maybe I maybe I've, maybe I'd have done better than a, you know, this kind of sit down and a chat with a f- f- politics professor who asked me about loads of things i'd never heard of to do with the uk constitution and i and i you know i had no idea what i was doing um and uh yeah whereas i think probably an exam and an an algorithm i would probably have done a little bit better so essentially removing any kind of human contact take the humans out of it yeah as long as humans don't have to have contact with me i look pretty good i look pretty good on paper yeah in a spreadsheet you know it's just that's very interesting though because on the one hand um you know any what you're missing with an algorithm versus an exam is you're missing the sort of the crucible of the of the pressure and the not being able to refer to anything and what's actually in your your head but also time pressure and so on and so that's something you lose from that that process potentially unless you factor factor it in but what you what you lose from a from an interview is uh versus an algorithm is that human interaction you know are you are you um a good can, egg. Uh, well, not necessarily, but can you, you know, can you converse? Uh, do you rub people up the wrong way? You know, those kinds of things. So you're missing missing that information as well. And so it's quite interesting that, you know, what you two have gained or lost by, by the real process versus what an algorithm may have come up with. But yeah. of course, algorithms can account for those things. Hmm. I think for, for me, uh, I would probably rather have had, certainly from about sort of, 14 to about 17 i think i would rather have had an algorithm take care of my uh attempts to sort of woo i think that (laughs) sort of yeah just just essentially lining me up with potentially suitable uh you know people and um and not forcing me to have to you know that long sort of terrifying walk in in a in a bar you know to another table yeah. or, or across a you know a school disco or oh, I'm something getting sweaty palms yeah, just ex- thinking exactly about it. so i think just having something pony up and say hey we think this person's compatible for you mm. uh um well a lot yeah. of people seem and, to complain about tinder but i think you know it's got that going for it yeah and also i'm sure there's an algorithm out there or some kind of connection to people who do well in exams and people who need help um, with, with wooing the opposite sex. And it so seems on. like a stereotype, but probably a fair uh, one. Uh, okay, um, I think we'll stop there. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.